Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, just before we get into the show proper, just a few dates I've got to plug. So this Sunday, August 7, at the Belfry on Brunswick Street in Fitzroy. Good Intentions Comedy Room, the brand new room I'm running with Tommy Daslow, where we host... We try new material. We get our funny friends to jump up and do spots as well. So this weekend we have Kirsty Wiebeck, Durok Jaya Singer. We have Jordan Barr and also Tim Hewitt. So it's going to be lots and lots of fun. So head over to joshua.com.au for the tickets while you're there. Also at the Belfry, two weeks after, exactly at 3 p.m., the 21st is a live Don't You Know Who I Am. Hey, if you if only ever just discovered this podcast, I had another one that I did 300 episodes of. Good, don't you know who I am? The live shows are going monthly now at the Belfry, the home of my, my career, pretty much. Uh, so that's going to be lots and lots of fun. Always great guests. So get a ticket. Tickets are cheaper if you're a Patreon subscriber as well. So if you want to help out the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber, go to patreon.com slash D-Y-K-W-I-A. That's patreon.com slash D-Y-K-W-I-A. You get, if you're not from Melbourne, you get the live uh, episodes of the podcast, don't you know who I am? that go up there, the only place you can get them. Also, you get a podcast called Top 5, which I do with a, with a buddy. I sit down and we discuss the top five of a topic of our choice. Tim Hewitt, who's on the show on Sunday, he came on last week. We did Top 5 TV Dads. Super fun, super dumb. Thanks, everyone, who's been giving five-star reviews of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you can review the podcast. That means a lot. Leaving messages, that's always great. Don't forget to like, subscribe, do all those things. Get the word out there. Thank you very much. Anyway, enough from me. Enjoy this episode with oh, podcast royalty. It's Will Anderson, everyone. Hello and welcome to 100% Hits Volume Pod, the podcast that looks at the greatest musical compilation this country's ever produced. My name is Josh Earl, and joining me this week, very special guest. Please welcome into your ears. It's Will Anderson, everyone. Yay. I mean, having me on a podcast doesn't qualify as a very special guest, Josh. <laughs> like, come on. Come. Like, these days, you're prouder if you're, like, 100% Will Anderson free. <laughs> That's, like, some podcasts are actually leaning into that, so that if you hate me, you can't just stumble onto me on one of your favourite other podcasts. So, what do you, what do you, how many podcasts you got? You got Tofop, you got Fofop, you got uh, Two Guys, One Cup. Yeah. Willosophy. Well, Willosophy's on hi- hiatus. There's been yeah, no new Willosophy this year. I mean, people still listen still to it. You know, you know what I love about Willosophy is it's still making the top 150 podcasts in Australia. I have not done a new episode nice. this year, but the, the back catalogue is still getting some listens. So I feel like that project is just doing its job on its own without any supervision from me. You know, I'm just like, if you love something, set it free. If yeah. it loves you, it'll come back to you. Hey, I'm a big proponent of ending ending a podcast. 
I think. I, I mean, Josh, you are an industry leader. That's what you are. You're a man who, like, because this is the thing, like, the great advantage of podcasting when you first started, you were like, oh, it's a radio show that you can't get sacked from. That's a cool thing. But then you realize that is as much a blessing as it is a curse because it's also a job that no one will ever tell you to stop doing. Yeah. You are the only person that will decide whether you should stop doing it or not. So, yeah, there was something quite liberating about the fact that um, I haven't had the time and space and energy and there's a whole bunch of other reasons I haven't done philosophy this year. But this idea that you could actually say no to yourself, you're like, oh, I've set a boundary for myself here. <laughs> hey, what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about Volume 7, Side A. So it came out in 93, Will. What, what was happening in Will Anderson's world in 93? Well, I would have been, uh, if I've got my maths correct, 19 years old, which means that I was second year university. So I would have been at the University of Canberra. I would have moved out into a share house for the first time. I lived on campus for the first year. And my musical tastes would have been going very much from, see, the compilation albums of my generation are more, you're like, choose 1985, you know? Like, yep. these are the things that are iconic in my memory of when, like, a compilation would have been something that I enjoyed. I went to university in Canberra, first week, O-week, um, got invited down to Mikey Robbins and um, uh, Helen Razor were doing the Triple J Breakfast Show live from the Uni of Canberra bar yep. for O-Week, you know, back when universities had money to spend on things like getting Triple J Breakfast Show to the campus. But I always say the most influential thing that happened in my entire three years of my education at that university, like I did a journalism degree, graduated first in my class, worked as a journalist, like, but the thing that actually affected my life was in O-Week, me getting up before like six o'clock in the morning to go and see that guy I knew from the TV, Mikey Robbins, because I'd never heard Triple J before. Because I grew up in the yep. country, we didn't have Triple J down where I... We had 1242 3TR, Sound of Gippsland in the Valley. G'day. If you answer your phone and say, G'day, I listen to Mummery in the morning, you might win $12.42, Josh. That is the radio that I was raised on. So I've gone to university. The first time I have ever heard Triple J was the Chip Triple J breakfast show like live, I was there yep. in the audience. I wasn't even listening to it on the radio. And of course, I went on to have, like, I, can you imagine if you told that kid sitting in O-Week at university in Canberra, he goes, oh, you know what you're watching right now? That will be your job in seven years from now. Then like, it just would have blown my mind. But the most influential thing that happened in my career happened in the, the first week of O-Week. I probably could have just fucked off after then and I would have been fine. But yeah. Because didn't Adam Spencer also get into Triple J from a university? They did a like a live broadcast from a uni and he got up and did some maths and that he was quite funny. I believe so. I believe they were doing a, a university live show and he went up and did like a – they used to do lists between the weather, which was the bane yep. of my existence when I was doing that show because that was my <laughs> responsibility to come up with like three or four jokes you know, for a topic between every weather. Yeah, but the but the truth of it is, it was a good way to recruit people to that show because Adam did that, and I think actually, when Helen and Mikey used to have me on regularly on their show, I think that I used to do lists in the weather. So that was the that was the main. If you're looking for that golden, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, point where what was it yeah. that got you this job? The real thing was <laughs> your capacity to say a couple of funny things between a weather list. All right, all those people listening, if you want a job on Triple J, just go to all the unis when they do live broadcasts, if they still do them. I don't even know. All right, 
let's get into this, these songs. So the first song. Now, normally on these compilations, they start off sexy. They start off horny. Yeah. We've had uh, people are still having sex. We've had good vibrations. We've had let's talk about sex. Then I, re- I think they've realized, oh, families are buying these albums now. We can't mm-hmm. be as horny as we wanted to. So now they're starting this off track one, side A, volume seven, with Charles and Eddie's Would I Lie to You. Here it is. No. Sonia Dada, Chuck Ademus vibes, this one. There was a point where you thought that falsetto couldn't get any higher and then either Charles or Eddie, I'm not sure which one's which, has come in with like whatever you can do. I I will tell you, I am not left-handed. Here we go. I cannot wait until I get the calls from people who have been listening to this at like 1.3 or 1.4 speed, just going, I just couldn't listen to the Charles and Eddie song. It just went too high. My dogs are in the background going crazy. Well, I would say that they are a transition between normal music and the Chipmunks albums. So yeah. if, that's, if you're looking for a middle ground, <laughs> these are your dudes. Now, the, you worked on the Australian version of Would I Lie to You, right, didn't you? I did. I was one of the writers on it, yep. Yeah, so is it, because Spicks and Specks, of course, like yep. is named after a song. That, you know, that obviously that show is named after a song. Yes, is BG Would song. I Lie to You named after the Charles and Eddie hit, do you think? I don't know because this is the thing. They're an American band, but mm. quite big in UK. They had they won uh, three Ivan Novella Awards in 92 or 93 for Best Contemporary Song, Best Selling Song and International Hit of the Year. So obviously this was a big song in the UK. So maybe it was just named after this, but they didn't use the song for the intro. No. Do you think Charles and Eddie are very mad about that? Because like, well, it's been a while between... Only, oh. There's only only one of them still alive, so uh, oh. so Eddie could be mad about it. Charles okay. Charles unfortunately died in uh, 2001. Rest in peace. Yeah, I mean, like if he did die, I, I, he strikes me as a guy who's protesting too much about lying. Yeah. This is the thing. Like if you've written a whole song to convince a woman that you're not going to lie to her, then that is a red flag for me that you are absolutely 100% lying to her. That is like, you know when they say if the lie has too much detail, it's probably a lie? Yeah. I I feel like that if you've got your mate Eddie and you've gone into the studio, you've recorded a track all about it, then I I would say Charles doth protest too much. (laughs) Well, I didn't know this. Charles, Charles Pettigrew and Eddie Chacon, so they could have been Pettigrew and Chacon, but they went with Charles Mm. and Eddie. He was a member of the Tom Tom Club, which was like the Talking Heads kind of side oh. project. Chris France and Tina Weymouth, their, their little band. I now, say what little I, band. It was quite a big band, but yeah. I don't remember a lot about this song, but I do remember that the film clip, um, and this is the one thing I remember, because it was two of them, like, well, obviously, and they were like, but it was a lot of them hanging out on like in various locations, sort of just like singing and crooning yep. and like doing their thing. But yes. then they had that... Like there was that weird sort of, um, you know, like when it looks like someone's drawn on the, like the footage or whatever it is, where it just like, he's a bit modern. Yeah. And it was just 
really out of place for the rest of the film clip. That's my one memory was like it wasn't a film clip that was anyway set in the modern world or like trying to be futuristic, but just in between them like singing on a stoop to some girl about whether they'd never lie to them. It, like there would just be these really futuristic, like somebody just worked out how to do that on like the video editing technique. Yeah, it's like the Star Wars wipes. Yeah, yeah. here we go. We've we, we figured out a cool thing. <laughs> it does give me, this song gives me real, uh, Rob Mills would have sung it on Australian Idol. Uh, in a later round, if you got through, that's this song. Yeah, I think I think so, and I think very much it would have worked for a Rob Mills in that context because I think this song does have subtext. Like I do think this song is about this guy like being a bit of a player and saying, "Hey, would I lie to you, baby? Come on, you're the only one for me." And I don't feel like if you just read it on what they think it is on the top level, yeah. that it is just this song of commitment. I mean, firstly, if you're that committed, you don't need your buddy to be there for the, <laughs> right, you mean? <laughs> like if you really, like the fact that there's two of you already, or, or were Charles and Eddie part of one of the original polyamorous relationships? And it's the idea that like Charles and Eddie are both singing. To, to Me this and my girl. friend Charles saw you across the bar. We wonder yeah. if you'd like to buy Real you a drink. Ridiculous vibe. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, we're going to move on. Now, this I'm sure in '93 at uni, this would have been played a lot at the uh, was it Canberra Uni or uh, yep, the University of Canberra Bar? University yes. Canberra. Yep. This is a rest development, and they're huge, huge. They weren't in a hurry, were they? It's so slow, isn't it? Hip hop in the 90s was so slow. (laughs) So, this is the one you can listen on 1.4 speed and go, oh, actually, this is good. Stop it there. Yeah, let's stop it before it gets to the one bit of this song that is memorable. (laughs) Because the hook of this, this is a great example of the hook doing so much heavy lifting that we forget that the rest of it was at best pedestrian sounding rap. Like, not only was it pedestrian, it's also it hasn't aged well. It's all, it's almost, it's for those who didn't go back and listen to the lyrics properly. It's speech, who's the lead singer of this band. Almost kind of like doing a bit of a Bill Cosby in terms of mm. pull your pants up, men. Like yeah. show some respect. Stop being on the corners. Stop getting off the streets. Go inside. And it's a bit like, oh, I, I, I don't know. I feel uncomfortable listening to that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Cosby has really ruined a lot of things. Yeah. But one of them is like you know being able to judge other people in your own community by impossible standards. He's really ruined that. But I agree. I think that, I mean, obviously Arrested Development, and I I really loved Arrested Development at the time and I still have yep. quite a deal of affection for this. And so I went back and watched the film clip for this, like knowing that we were going to talk about it and, again, was surprised at how pedestrian the rap is. Like yeah. it's just, like I was like, okay, so just one draft? Was that the idea with the song? You were just like the hook's so good we only need one draft of the rap? It's like, 
Yeah, the, the storyline of it is the type of song where I think someone like a Tucker Carlson on Fox News would go, mm. see, I told you, mm. see, even in their own community. I'm like, no, oh, you don't yeah. want something like that on your side. Yeah, yeah, speech should have done a little less speaking and a little more rewriting would have been my tip for this one. But also, that was their vibe. They were yeah. trying to be, like, I mean, there had been this, like, real rise in, because I loved... 80s and early 90s hip-hop is probably my favourite era of any music, right? Yeah. And so I I kind of followed the, like, the infighting of the community or the, like, the, the sort of battles over this. And so I loved the vibe of what Arrested Development were trying to do. But watching it back, you're like, oh, calm down, Hillsong. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> Jeremy, like, just, you know. Uh, I should the, mention, so the, the sample is Sly and the Family Stone's uh, yes. Everyday People. They've changed it to people every day. Very, very clever. No one ever yeah. Good like, stuff. <laughs> uncracked that code. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I remember seeing Sly and the Family Stone at Harvest Festival, which was a festival in uh, Werribee, which had super so many issues with people just uh-huh. trying to leave the festival. Like they, they kind of said, oh, because it's a Sunday, the trains won't be running, so everyone drive. And the Metro were like, oh, no, we'll run extra trains. you just got to let us know. And mm. so then on the morning of, they're like, all right, the trains are running. No one drive. Everyone get the train. Everyone was like, we've already made plans. So I remember being in a car with Tommy Daslow, Xavier Michaelides, and Carl Chandler for three hours trying to get out of the car park. It was a great, it was a great three hours. But yeah, but Sly and the Family Stone played, and they played, they played their song "Everyday People," and yeah. I would say eighty percent of the audience thought it was Arrest Development. Going, yeah. oh cool, this is this is great. They're playing their big hit. It was good. <laughs> it was good. All right, moving on. We talked about uh, this woman last episode with Ben Lomas he mentioned her vocals sound crisp we talked about the day you went away last time today Mm. we're talking about her follow-up single Friday's Child by Wendy Matthews yep that's enough you don't like this one (laughs) this is such such a great example of how popular the previous song was that this has made the album. That's I think that's a lot of a, a lot of this CD is a lot yeah. of all right. We we got your big hit last time or the song before. We we have to do this one. I mean, it feels like it might be going somewhere here. Like at that oh, point, you you're like, playing? no, I do not. <laughs> this, this is like when I watch Shaun of the Dead and I turn it off before his mum dies. Like sometimes you just want a happy ending. You don't want to see the bad bits. And I like Wendy Matthews. I think she's super talented, clearly. Yeah. And, but uh, this song does not go anywhere. Yeah, it I remember once. It does not go anywhere. I once was on a flight, a short flight and watched Straight Outta Compton only the first hour. I'm going, oh, this is great. A bunch of friends getting really big. Great, great. Don't, need to, don't need to watch anymore. Don't need to see. Yeah. Easy E coughed. Oh, it's nothing. Yeah. Who cares? I assume it all works out fine. <laughs> yeah. Hey, on, this was a single. And on the single was a, uh, her own song, um, The Day You Went Away, but sung in French. Do you want to hear a bit? Yeah. This is the last bit. So the song, The Day You Went Away, as we uncovered last week, is a cover. Uh, but this is the French version, and if you ever wanted to hear what uh, Sleeping Bag is in French, here we go. (laughs) 
Sleepy bag in French. If you ever go camping, you need to know. There you go. So did Wendy Matthews like already speak French? Did she learn French? Well, she's French? Canadian, that... so I'd say she ah, yeah, maybe okay. did speak French. French-Canadian, yeah, yeah, okay. That that makes sense. Yeah. But um, Friday's Child, obviously in reference to the poem, mm-hmm. uh, Monday's Child is Fair of Face. But mm-hmm. Friday's Child, I had to look this up, is Loving and Giving. If you're going to write a song about that poem, Wednesday's Child is the one to write a song about. Wednesday's Child is full of woe. As someone yeah, who's okay. written songs, I would go, yeah, I, I, that's the more would, interesting I, child. I would have said, like, and again, I'm someone who hasn't written songs, but I know a good song when I hear it. I would have Craig David at it. You've got to do Monday's Child, Tuesday. You've got to run us through the whole week. No, he doesn't oh. run through the whole week. He just go. he gets to Thursday and goes, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah, we were having sex as well. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, let's, we can yada yada the weekend, child, children. I, I am a Friday child. I was born on a Friday. I have no idea what day I was born. Is well, that a I thing that you meant to know? I, no, I looked it up, Will. Oh, of course you did. You were born on a Thursday. Oh, you are. Go. What you does have, that mean? Ch- Thursday's child has far to go. Oh, yep. okay. Saturday, Saturday's child <laughs> works hard for a living. <laughs> and the child born on the Sabbath day is Bonnie and Blythe and Good and Gay. Um, <laughs> but what the website I looked up also that said what day it was also said that the number one song on the day you were born. And yours oh, yes. was photographed by Ringo Starr. Ooh, and mine really? was Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes. Okay. I think my song's better. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> no debate. <laughs> I cannot mount a case for the, <laughs> the opposition. All right. We'll move on. Not my, look, as we both said, it's a follow-up single to a uh. smash hit. It got to number 16, but it was in and out. Got in that yeah. week, left, left the top 50 the next week. All right. Now, this song... By two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Peter Gabriel, and his song, Steam. This is a six-minute song, Will. Six I, minutes. But here's the thing. This is such a great example of... Because, like, I was going to forgive Charles and Eddie for their video e- editing techniques because I was like, <laughs> maybe the technology, you know, wasn't that good. You know, they were working with the best they have. But then you... I rewatched the film clip for this uh, last night because I remembered at the time I absolutely loved it. Like, yeah. I loved what he was doing in the world of film clips. I mean, Sledgehammer is, like... Obviously, the more famous one. Yeah. But Steam is 
incredible. Like Steve- it's. It's like it's like an AI was an AI was fed acid yes. and like came up with a video clip. It is compelling. It is, if you haven't seen it, do do watch it. But it is it's like they've put every single thing they can do in the one Everything. six minute video. It's like it's like someone say, "Hey, can you give us a sample of your work?" And they've just done everything they can do, mm. and they've gone, "Yeah, that's that's the film clip. We love it." Right, we'll put your head on a muscly body. Uh, yep. We'll take all your clothes off. We'll, we'll have like, those swirly eyes going around. You'll, you'll be you'll, a cartoon. Yeah, like, you transform be... from a, bo- a woman's body to your face. Yeah, it. But it's funny. Like yeah. it's actually really funny, and it's so well done. Like I mean, if you saw that today, because it's got actually quite a, a modern. Like it, it reminds me of what that style of like stuff has actually become, where yep. people have returned to it you know, looking a bit sort of like put together or not making sense in a chronological story way, but still making sense internally in this universe that is just spinning from one idea to the next. Like it worked for me. Like yeah. uh, it's it's bonkers. Like it's bananas. Like, and every time you think it's done, something else happens and you go, what is going on? And then when you hear the song without the film clip, you realise it's, it's a fine song. Yeah. Like it, you know, it's absolutely fine. But... It, it, it's like the song was written for the video clip. If you watch them both together, it's actually a real experience and you think, this is a fucking great song yeah, there's and a this few is songs an amazing like clip. The, where you hear, the, you hear the song, then you see the film clip and then you can't think of the song without mm. thinking of the film clip anymore. Yeah. Like Praise You by Fatboy Slim is an example where you right. go, oh yeah, that's the, the Spike Jones dancing in, in the mall kind of thing. But I, this one, like when I first heard, I'd never heard this song before, I don't think. I'd seen the film clip, I think, in when they have like wrap ups of the best film clips of all time, but you're kind of watching, you don't really listen to the song. But the song, it sounds so much like Sledgehammer. Yeah. Which was oh, it's huge hit. Almost exactly the same. In fact, the music is pretty much exactly the same. Well, doing research, it was a real fuck you to the critics who was like, oh, like his stuff just sounds the same. So it's mm. like, oh, you think it all sounds the same? Well, mm. I'll show you. I'll write another song that sounds the same. And guess what? The audiences didn't give a shit. They were like, cool, right. we love that song. We love yeah, this that, song. Yeah, we love that original one. Why, yeah. why would you fuck with the original formula? That's exactly which, what we wanted. Which was my thing with, I'm a big fan of The Strokes and love their first album, love their second album, but the second mm. album got all this kind of like reviews. Oh, it just sounds like the first one. I'm like, yeah, yeah. the yeah. first one was great. That's what I wanted. <laughs> oh, one of my favourite things is when a rapper, like Kendrick does this quite a lot, there's like three different versions of this. Like you're like, I love this track. And then he's gone away and got like, a Jay-Z's on this one and yep. he's doing a verse and Kendrick's written a new verse. I'm like, this is, I don't need to hear a new song. I like this song that I already like with new lyrics and a guest. This yep. is even better. Well, artists like painters get to do that. They get to do a whole series. Like who's the guy who did all the Ned Kelly uh, mm. artwork? Right. I, I forget his name. Yeah, 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 that's it. Sydney Nolan. Like just for years, just did the same, the same picture over right. and over again. Band yeah. should do that. Just go, all right. I mean, Peter Gabriel also, just to be reminded of that era. And I, I know we're not beyond it. Like where a middle-aged man can still be a rock star and yeah. a pop star. Like you still got your pit bulls and these sort of people that feel like. But Peter Gabriel is really like part of the fact that he was, you know, obviously lent so much into the the, the film clips and, you know, like this surreal world was that he was just like a middle-aged man who was yeah. like a pop star and he was like, I've got to do something to throw people off the scent here. Well, for those, so he was a founding member of Genesis. Yes. 
Uh, and then he left Genesis. And I, I did like this. So they were a band for a, a while, like four or five years, not doing much. And then one one gig, he was a bit bored. He thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go off and I'll get on a really stupid costume and just come out. But he didn't tell the band he was going to do it because they thought, oh, he thought they might say, no, nah, don't do that. Yeah. Don't take away from the music. Anyway, he did that. It got the picture on the front page of the Melody Maker, which was the big kind of UK street, pre- oh, not street press, but like magazine kind of yeah. thing. And they got to raise their fee up because of that because they were like, as seen on the front cover of Melody Maker. And uh, yeah, so people would go along and go, yeah, I want to see the fuck thing that, Pe- that Peter Gabriel is going to wear. It's great. Phil Collins did not take up the wearing stupid stuff when he became uh, the front man. I'm not sure that is correct because oh, I've spoken on TOEFOP about one of my favourite like YouTube videos of all time and I'll, I'll be quick on this, but there is a clip of him doing In the Air tonight at a concert where he's like, you know, already a very much an older man and he's in sort of like what I can only imagine are like Japanese silk pyjamas oh. or something like that. <laughs> nice. And he's got like a Madonna-style headset mic and a set that looks like Australian Ninja Warrior. Like it's amazing. And he does this thing where he sings In the Air tonight and then um, he goes right around like this giant set and then he walks up to where he sits down and they lower a drum kit from the fucking roof and then he just does the, the the drum solo from the song. I have watched that video clip, I would say, I reckon 20 times. And the thing that I love the most about it is the audience in that room that night when he does that, no one has ever had a better time than yeah. they were having in that moment. None of them saw it coming and they all loved it. 10,000 people at once just went, you are the greatest rock star of all time. Thank you very much. It's, it's so funny. I don't know if this is just like kind of it's been built up over the years, but apparently when Peter Gabriel left Genesis, they auditioned 700 other singers before they just went, Phil Collins, who's already on mm-hmm. drums, now you can do it. Like, now, we have to, now we have to get another drummer though, you know? Sure. <laughs> yeah, drummers are harder to get than singers. Like, I get, yeah. Uh, this is the other thing I, li- I like. So, uh, also, um, Peter Gabriel, hugely charitable. He started WOMAD. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, not just him, but he was one of the co founders of it. And w- so, in this country, we have WOM Adelaide, world music. And also in, in Adelaide, it's also the Michael Franti experience he's there every year <laughs> and but in 2008 he released an album called scratch my back which is him doing covers of songs so he did uh david bowie lou reed okay fire uh regina specter magnet fields and uh radiohead and the idea it was called scratch my back and the idea was he was going to do the covers of these people and then the bands were going to do a cover of his songs mm. and then some of them went no nah, i don't want to do that and so he oh. never released because it was going to be called scratch my back and the other one was going to be called and i'll scratch yours I mean, I like that. I've like got to be honest too. with you. But uh, he's, he seems like a creative guy, is what I would say. And yeah. I, listening to that, um, like watching that film clip and listening to uh, that song again last night, I was like, oh, I, I reckon that Peter Gabriel still stands up. Like, I yeah. feel like this is still good music. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's 1993 music. No. If somebody but... released it, if you heard it on Triple J now, like with a few tweaks, you'd be like, Oh yeah, I could see this. Like yeah. I, could, I could hear that fitting in. Yeah, it it, it it's Peter Gabriel, Huey Lewis. It's got a Huey Lewis vibe. You could have told yeah. me this was a Huey Lewis song. I would have known. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, moving on. Another band who's been discussed before. This is the Screaming Jets. Now, last time we discussed uh, Living in London. So it's a great song. This one is their cover of the Roland S. Howard song, Shivers. I don't know is the answer, yeah. <laughs> Josh. I don't know. It's such a great song. It is that a very well written song. That hearing the song itself is like enough to almost get me across the line to say it's because it's a good. It's just a great song. Yeah, and like like it would be hard to fuck up that song. You well, know, very hard because it's only G and C. Even even mu- musically, it's a very simple song. Yeah, it feels like something that if I was ever to have to do a live performance where I sang, yep. it might be what I busted out because I feel like that is a range that I could control and like make work. When it comes to covers, okay, here's what I here's what my pros are for this. I don't think there was a lot of people who were familiar with this song. Like this is not when you think about covering a song, like, yeah, and the Screaming Jets at the time, clearly, you know, let's put a cover on. Like, you know, I mean, we see this so much, right? Like, you know, yeah. that follow-up single or that, you know, being like a cover in this era. The fact that they chose this song, I think, means they have good taste, yes. right? Like, it, it's not an obvious choice of a song to do as a cover. That, that's my um, theory of bands who I don't think are, like, not my favourite bands, but if they will program Rage, if they're not a cool band, they'll program a lot of really cool songs. And I'll go, oh, this is great. And then if they are a very cool band, they'll program a lot of bullshit because they're just too cool. Like, it's just that thing. Yeah. I think that the Screaming Jets would program a good Rage. I yeah. agree, Josh. Um d- 
is the, I mean, look, you know, if if this song meant that people went and found the original, then I think, like, it did its job. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't add much to, um, well, it doesn't add anything. Yeah. <laughs> it, it shaves off some edges of the, you know, of the original, right? But, like, it's fine. It's a fine version of this song that got it out to a much wider audience. Yeah. So Roland as Howard wrote this when he was 16, and he, he said he wrote it almost as a comic song. Like, and if you just listen to the lyrics at the very start, like yeah. it's first it's line, funny. second line, right? Yeah, yeah. D- but I've it really doesn't suit my style. It's not really my style. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'll just look bored instead. It's, it's, yeah. But he said that when Nick Cave uh, sang it, he kind of made it more menacing, and so people just thought it was like very heartfelt, which it is. But he also Roland S. Howard was like going, it was a bit of an albatross around his neck. So I watched an interview with him on Studio Twenty Two, which is an old ABC show they used uh-huh. to film just have bands come in and just play a set and do an interview and he said that like people it's the most requested song and because he wrote it when he was 16 he doesn't feel like it's his song he's just kind of like it's someone else wrote it and uh he'll do it but he and but he wasn't like saying i don't want to play the song anymore he's just saying it does i just don't feel anything when i play it it's just that thing um i once met roland s howard uh in 2005 he was uh at trades hall bar so I was doing my show on the Comedy Festival that year and that was the year that – it was before the Comedy Festival took over Trades Hall mm. and Keating, the musical, was on after me in the yes. same venue and that was super, super popular. And so they'd be very busy in the bar and then everyone would go in and watch the show and then I pretty much had the bar to myself. And uh, Roland S. Howe was drinking at the bar because his uh, partner at the time was working behind the bar there and I didn't know. And I'd been there like every night at the bar after my show talking to her because she was cool and then her partner was in that night and I didn't realise it was Roland as Howard uh, until about, you know, five minutes into talking with them, like kind of said, oh, this is my partner Roland and uh, he was, look, he had hepatitis C. He was very, very ill looking and it was a little bit sad but like he was very, very nice and easy talk. Like, you know, I always think that Nick Kay would be like this kind of like weird kind of guy to talk to and then you realise, oh, no, he's just a guy from mm. Melbourne. Like right. He's just a kid, a kid from Geelong. Like it's yeah, yeah I can who, talk to who, him. Yeah. who does a performance? Yes, you know it is that thing where sometimes you're like, yeah, no, they're just pretending. Like yeah. it's not, it's just the thing they do. They just put on their like, you know, like it's like say it's kind of like that thing of going, oh yeah, it'd be nice to meet Chris Hemsworth, but is he always going to be banging on about Asgard? And <laughs> what if I don't haven't seen the films? I don't know. Like I mean, of course. All right, moving on. Now, long-time listeners will know, I'm only allowed to dislike one song per album, and this. You're only allowed to dislike one per album? One per episode. Okay. So this is the song that I've chosen. Not my cup of tea. This is ALT and the Lost Civilization, and their song, Tequila. And my homie Jim Dean We were kind of flipped And we were trying to be heavy Yo, when in walked the soldier He was from the fuzzy navel <laughs> We were falling, stumbling, crawling Here came the police Captain Tom Collins And the battle said freeze He said hands in the air And hand over your keys Now we did And that was kind of simple Now here came Margarita And her friend Shirley Temple I asked my friend about Margarita He said that Shirley was a virgin And I wouldn't 
didn't want to meet her, so I talked to Margarita, cause yo, she was flyer. I took her to the coast, cause I wanted to screwdriver. Now I'm not one for a speech, but there was plenty of tequila and sex on the beach, y'all, tequila. See, Josh, the lyrics, the names <laughs> yes, of people Will. are also the names of popular alcohol brands. You see. Oh, what? He's so, so he's got a friend called Jim Bean and Jack Daniels, and then this yep. girl Margarita's rocked up with Shirley Temple. And guess what Shirley Temple is? She's a virgin oh. because Shirley Temples don't have alcohol in them. I don't see, I don't think you've realized how clever this song is, Josh. That's why you don't like it. Or is it too clever? As someone who writes comedy songs, has Alt yes. and the Lost Civilization taken it to a Bo Burnham level that you can't aspire to? Is that what's happening here? I'll tell you what. I, I, I know exactly what this songwriter's done. He's gone, oh, that's fun for the mm. first line. Oh, mm. shit. Let's do it for the I've whole song. I've got to do it for the whole song. I counted them. There's 36 different drinks in here. Yeah. Just, and by the end, you're like, nah. Like the Fuzzy Navel, like the Tom Collin. It's like, it's too much. It's too much. Uh Alvin Trevet, that's his real name. Alvin Lau Trevet is ALT. Now he was uh, a Mex I believe he was Mexican though, right? Like was he a Mexican yes. or Hispanic rapper of yep. some kind? I remember yep. that. And here's what I will argue is like, yes, of Clearly, this is a terrible song. And, like, the hook is so ubiquitous these days that, like, even if you had enjoyed it in the first place, you couldn't still enjoy it, right? But the rapping in this is actually technically better than the rapping in oh. the rest of the development track, right? Like, Yes, like absolutely. At least he's he tells a story. Like, you get these various scenes and scenarios, parties and whatever that he rolls up to, and then he has coincidentally 80 friends who all have alcohol like names but like at least you can see what he's doing and the hook yeah. is like a party hook you know you got that mexican vibe to it like if he's representing like i don't know culturally whether this style of music it does feel a bit like that celebratory you know style of music that you associate with traditional mexican music at least when you see it represented through western things so there are bits of this that i go yeah, okay, that all kind of makes sense. I can see why this is a thing. It's not my cup of tea either. Yeah. Um, but but I like it's. I actually think there's something going on, right? Yeah. Look, it's not. When I say I dislike it, it's not like a dislike I had for like the Red Hot Chili Peppers or the Teen Queens. It's no. just of all the songs on this on this side, it is my least favorite song. Now, so this is another cover as well. I mean, it's not a cover. They've they've sampled. Tequila, which is a, yeah. a song by The Champs from 1958. Not the Could Have Been Champions, The Champs, mm. uh, which has been used a lot. Uh, most notably for me in the film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where the turtles change to te tequila to... What do you think they change it to, Will? Uh, tequila? No. Ninjitsu. <laughs> <laughs> Nijitsu. Is that really? Yep. That is really what it is. But that's not, not the worst that. version of that. The worst version of this song, and possibly the unfunniest late night bit ever, was on Stephen Colbert, Ooh. backed by dancers dressed as syringes and called The Vaccine, spelt S C E N E, The Vaccine, played this song, added no words, 
no lyrics, and it, but instead of saying tequila, said vaccine for almost two minutes. I don't know what was going on in the Colbert world there, but he didn't seem happy, and it was just, all right, we've got to do a show every night during a pandemic. Fuck it, let's put it on. Like, yeah, all right. It's the worst. I'll, I'll link it in the, in the show notes. It is, it's incredible how bad it is. See, this is a great example of how even people who you think have perfect lives had low points during the pandemic. Yes. You know? Like, we all had our rock bottom. Some people joined QAnon. Stephen Colbert just repeated tequila. <laughs> oh, sorry, vaccine over and over to the tequila song. Now, I've been in many a writing room. Yeah. I don't know how that got pitched. The no, person I can. pitched it. Oh, well, what about if we just, like, replace the word, we do the bare minimum. We just play the most annoying song in the world and we replace tequila with vaccine. What about that? Actually, you know what? Maybe that is funny. Is that funny? Yeah, actually, (laughs) you know what? Maybe that is funny. Well, it turns out, in retrospect. All right, moving on to when this came out. I was 12 years old, and this song, at the time, on this album, would have been my favourite, my favourite song. This is House of Love by the bad boys of the UK boy band scene, E17. Has a bit of a Utah Saints feel to it. Mate. Not too bad. It's aged pretty well. It is aged well, pretty like lyrically as well. I know these groups are targeted at um, these groups are targeted normally at like sort of teenage girls, right? Yeah. Like, and this band was definitely made up of like guys that would appeal to teenage girls. But I imagine the amount of sexual awakenings that teenage boys had, because there is a real like like gay male lens on their film clips. They feel very yes. much like if you were. Like, if you were at a gay club and that was the video that was playing on the screen, you'd be like, yeah, this is designed for this audience. And I didn't really remember them like that. This is, I went back and watched this and I was like, this is very, like, and it's very much about, like, don't judge people by their sex and sexuality and race. And, like, I mean, the messaging in it is really positive world messaging. I mean, one love, one God. I I didn't know if that was, like, there's (laughs) one God and we mean one and all the other gods are wrong. Or whether it meant, no, 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 like, don't, you know, it doesn't matter what the name of your God is. There's only sort of like, you know, love is God. And it felt to me like, I'm like, this is, but I did look at the film clip and think, are are these boys okay? Is someone, (laughs) they felt like they needed a feed and maybe like a little bit of love. Like, that's what it looked like. They looked a little, 
Melbourne. One guy in the band, very, very yeah. skinny. Uh, yeah. So they were put together by the Pet Shop Boys manager. Uh, who oh, wanted, yeah, that makes sense. He wanted a tougher version of Take That. So Take okay. That were already a thing. Yeah. He was like, no, let's get a more... Take This. Yes, that's what it should have been called. <laughs> but it's funny you mentioned the film, because I remember the film clip, loving the film clip. Yeah. And not just the song, but also the style. And mm. off the back of this song, I remember buying a pork pie hat. Yeah. I bought a pork pie hat. And going everywhere shirtless. I had a, a, mesh, a mesh singlet. No. A mesh singlet and a giant fluffy overcoat. But I remember, I don't know if you, what you were like as a kid, but I remember being super, super anxious anytime I wore anything new out. If I knew, had new shoes, I was anxious that people would like, say, oh, you got new shoes and then like do the whole christening thing instead on my feet. For this one, I was like super anxious. I wore it one time. So in Bernie, where I grew up, Tuesday night is the men's basketball and we would go there every single, every single Tuesday night, watch the women's play and then the men play. And I wore it there and super conscious about it going, no, no, I've got to, I've got to wear it sometime. I've bought this hat. I've got to wear it. And my friend, Nigel, Nigel White, uh, I sat down next to me and he took it off my head and frisbeed it across the court and the umpire <laughs> picked it up and then chucked it to the bench yeah. And so for me, in order to get it, I had to walk around the entire court mm. and go get it. And I was too embarrassed. And so I waited until the very end of the game to go and get my hat. Well, you know what those so guys need? I never those guys need to be Those guys need to be invited into the house of love. And remember, there's just yeah. like one love and one God. And you shouldn't judge people by the clothes they wear or the sexuality <laughs> they have. E17 are still a band. E17 I- are still, hang on, all of them? All original members? Uh, only one member. Only one oh. member. Uh, but also, I didn't know this. So Brian Harvey, who was a member, yeah, uh, he was the best singer of the band. Uh-huh. He was kicked out of the band in '97 because, in an interview, he had talked about, "Yeah, I, I've taken ecstasy. It's great. It's cool to take drugs, and uh, yeah. it makes you a better person." And the band kicked him out because it was actually it was a huge story. It even made it to the House of Commons where they talked about it. They talked about the ecstasy pandemic and they need to do something Amanda. about it. When even East Seventeen are talking about how cool it is. The, the House of Commons need to take some ecstasy and turn it into a house of yes. love. That's what I'm hearing. I mean, surely, like, the, if you're talking about houses of love, ecstasy is, like, you know, the main ingredient of a house of love. I mean, maybe they're talking, like, you know, the house of love is fine on the weekend, but, you know, it becomes the house of hate on a Tuesday. Suddenly they're sitting in the corner listening to the Screaming Jets, <laughs> not understanding the irony in the song. Uh, uh, the only original member is Terry, Terry Coldwell. Is he who- the rapper? He, no, he's the one who does the dumb dance, and it says oh. Terry's good at dancing, bad at singing in the film clip. It says and he's that. the only member that's still <laughs> he's the in only the group. Member. But they they now dress like they're uh, in the Peaky Blinders. That's the oh, thing. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, moving on. Now this one, look, this song was originally released in '85, but then in 1993 they did a remix, and this made it to this. This is the Cult with "She Sells Sanctuary," M C M X C I I I remix.
song. Great song, actually. Uh, I think it's one of the all-time great songs. This yeah. is one of those and songs that every time it, like, it comes on something that I'm listening to, it's a t- particularly a Turn It Up in the Car song. I went and saw The Cult live whenever they last toured Australia. Yeah. It was still great. His voice isn't what it was, but like it was still really great. And that song is... Like, it's one of the all-time great rock songs, in my opinion. I just think it holds up still, too. It's like, it's, you yeah. know, the, the guitar stuff is iconic, but the singing is really fantastic. Like, I mean, this is how good that song is, is that I think I loved that song and would have said it was one of my favourite songs from the moment that it was released, still through to today. If you were just like, what's a song that yeah. you'll never get sick of hearing? Like, that is one of those songs. And I'm still not sure of what all the lyrics are. Like, there's still a lot of them no. in the car where I'm like, <laughs> and then just like try to like really just catch up again on the words that I do know. Well, I was I was trying to figure out why it made it to this compilation. Yeah, it's like it's eight year old song, but this is a remix, and I was thinking, why did they do a remix? But then I realised, so this is a remix by Butch Vig, who okay. had just come off doing Nevermind. And I would say had just been given, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You've just produced the biggest album in the world. What, what do you want to do now, Butch? Yeah. And he's like, oh, some, he's a, like oh, you know, there's this band that I was going to say, there's this song that I really like by this underrated band. I'm just going to sprinkle a little Butch Vig on it and get them back in the charts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which good, is good work. Great. That's great, Butch. Yeah. Um, also, so Ian Asprey, the singer of The Cult, uh, he is a huge fan of the band The Doors, mm. and uh, he said he discovered them for himself when he was watching Apocalypse Now, and they played the end by The Doors near the end, and he just became obsessed. And like you with your, uh, going to O-Week uh, Triple J and then being on Triple J, mm. he then became the singer of The Doors tribute act, Riders of the Storm, which has two yes, original Doors right. members in it, Ray Manzarek and Robbie Frieger. Wow. That would be that would be a cool thing as a singer going. Oh, I love this band, and now I'm the lead singer of this band. I mean, so that's not only great. was he the Doors, he also for a short while was the standing front man for the MC5 on their reunion. So, so he's been the lead singer of a few, a few good bands. I mean, it's kind of like you think about that with Adam Lambert as well, right? Which yeah. is like. You're the lead singer of Queen now, and for yeah. ages you've been the lead singer of Queen, and you get to be go around the world and play Queen-sized concerts as the lead singer of Queen. Like that's like that's better than having your own band and your own career because yes. your career is never going to be as big as Queen's career. No, like if you're an aspiring singer, what you've got to do is identify a group you think wants to stick around who's got a sickly singer and like target them. You've just got to like start hanging around with the group, you know. Like going, I don't know what's going on, you know, like maybe even indulging some of the worst impulses of the lead singer, you know. You know what? Yeah, I, I know a guy who can get you heroin. Of course I do. Anyway, I'll go and... Uh, so you're saying Phil Collins was probably saying to Peter Gabriel, no, nah, yeah. get, get the weird suit on. Get the dress on, on, on man. Yeah. Get, a, get the lobster Absolutely. head on. Absolutely. The guys will love it. <laughs> All right, this is our last song. Okay, great. Last song, Side B. This is a little band called U2, and they're song who's gonna ride your wild horses now this is the temple bar remix which mm. was the single which was on this uh compilation so here we go you're dangerous because you're honest 
We know where it goes. Yeah. Big old chorus. Um, here's what I'm going to say. I quite like you two, and I have an affection for you two from my my youth. Um, I went and saw them on that most, most recent world tour they did with that incredible, like, like you know, stage and screen. And yeah. It, it was great. This is a real go to the toilet, get your beer sort of song <laughs> when they roll out who's going to ride you wild horses. Like, I'm sorry, I am being honest, Bono, and that's because I'm dangerous. But this is never has a song started with you're dangerous and then offered you absolutely no danger. Like, and also it's you two running out of relatable songs, like, as far as I'm concerned. It's like, where the streets have no name, oh, that's relatable. With or without you, that's relatable. And it's like, Who's going to ride your wild horses? Like, people don't have wild horses, like Bono. This is now unrelatable. Well, this is the rumour what this song was written about. So Bono, very happily married, has been mm. for a long time, apparently wrote this about the Edge's divorce with his wife, oh. which I don't know. Like, that seems weird. That I always, I always find it weird that Paul McCartney wrote Hey Jude about mm. Julian Lennon just going, oh, I know it's tough, but here's a song. Like, surely let John write that song for his own son? Not, I mean, is it song. one of those things that you don't want to be the person writing the song, though? Like, you know, yeah, it's a bit okay. too close. You're going through a divorce. You're like, maybe even, the, like, you know, you're like, you go, like Edge is like, I I mean, this feels more like a song Edge might have written than yeah. Bono. So maybe Edge is like, i got a lot of thoughts. I'd really love you to get him into song, but I can't have my hands on this at all. You yeah. can't even be saying, come on, Edge, sing the blue, play the blues or n- none of that <laughs> nonsense. i gotta, I got to keep well out of this. When you're playing this, I'm actually going to walk as far away from you on our giant stage as I possibly yeah. can and stare off in the other direction. I need to distance myself from this song. But this was the, they worked on this in their Berlin sessions, the, mm. the ill-fated Berlin sessions. So they'd been talking to David Bowie. He said, look, you should go yeah. record in Berlin. I had a great time when I was there. And they got there, they didn't have a great time. And they realised, this was David Bowie's thinking a wizard was after him, so he kept his piss in the fridge. Like, yeah. as if he was, it could have been anywhere. It didn't have to be in Berlin to do that. And I so, mean, it's the greatest tourism campaign for Berlin of all time because people are still going to Berlin based pretty much on David oh. Bowie's recollections of Berlin. He's the original influencer. 
And also, Bono tells a very funny story. So they were they were in uh, Germany during the the fall of the Berlin Wall, and he said it was a great celebration. But then at one point, he realised that he was around a whole bunch of people who were angry about it. There was very small small percentage mm. of people who were angry about it. So he was with a whole bunch of dissenters who were kind of protesting the tearing down of the wall, and he had to try and make his way out of there. <laughs> uh, this is not a great song. Is is my like if if everyone's allowed to not like a song on on, yep. on the album, then I'm going to say. Like, I find this one the most offensive because it was popular. This is just a good example of U2 being popular. Like, yeah. popular enough at the time that they could get a song like this across the line to be a hit. And people still have a great deal of affection for this song, but I yeah. think it's... This is Bono phoning it in as far as I'm concerned. Well, this is their fifth single as well. So even they are yeah. going, hey, we've got, we've got better songs on this album than this one. Mm. And the also- horse song? What about the horse song? <laughs> the Daryl Braithwaite thing? No, 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 no. This is our who's going to ride your wild horses. So, so that's that's it, Will. That's the end of side A. Now, mm-hmm. I ask this every time: what percent hits would you give the nine songs that we just listened to? So it's nine. Okay, so nine that, songs. That's great because you've already like made it really hard to do maths made out of hundred percent. Right, that's yeah. great. So, um, I don't like uh, who's going to ride your wild horses. Yep, and I. I've got more affection for Alt's uh, wordplay than you do. Um, so I might get that one across the line. Uh, the Wendy Matthews song I did not enjoy. So I'm going to say, what's that? About 70, about 75% hits. That's, that's not high. bad, actually. That's, though. that's all right. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Hey, thanks for doing this, Will. Oh, my pleasure. Now, thanks, man. Uh, this will be out uh, Thursday, the 4th of August. Uh, you've got a show in Melbourne this weekend. Is it sold out? Oh. I do. No, it's not sold out. It's Sunday night. That's why it's not sold out. So <laughs> Sunday night, guys, at the Athenaeum, I'm doing the very uh, final time that I'm ever going to do my show, We're Logical, and we are going to tape it as well. So um, if you'd like to come out and be part of that, Justin Hamilton's doing support. It'll be a really, really fun night. So it's the final Great. time I'm ever doing the show. Excellent. And uh, all your pods, listen to Will's yep. podcasts. Where yeah, that'd be Where are they going to find them? Uh, you know, where you, where you find podcasts, Tofop, yeah. Fofop, uh, you know, they're all there. But Tofop.com, if you really want to go to a website, they're all there. And James Fosdyke's art and all that stuff is there yeah. as well. And um, the other thing that I was going to say is all the episodes of Gruen from this season that we've just finished are all up on ABC iView. And I did this show with um, uh, David Wenham called The ABCs Of, where I was interviewed about my life on the ABC. And there is some horrific early footage that I am extremely uncomfortable to watch and uh, I recommend that people check that out. I watched the recovery bit. Just yeah. So dumb. Awful. So, <laughs> so horribly, horribly. I, ironically, I need to be in recovery from the emotions that I still have to this day around that spot. Hey, thanks everyone for listening to this episode. If you like it, go on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, give it five stars. That always helps with the algorithm. Also this Sunday, me and Tommy Daslow are doing our Good Intentions comedy room at the Belfry. Uh, so it's uh, us two, Kirsty Wiebeck, Dilruk Singer, Tim Hewitt and Jordan Barr all trying new stuff. It's always fun. Thanks everyone. I'll see you next time. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.